0: Before we get into the interview, I just want to take a moment to thank you um, for your rant last <laughs> night on your Facebook Live. It is so frustrating that we're dealing with these COVID deniers and conspiracy theorists a year into oh, this. But yeah. it had well, to be said, I think I am so glad that you put the message out as
1: forcefully as you did. Well, yeah. the, the it- I find that the conspiracy theories are getting worse with yeah. time, and I, yeah. I think I get it. A lot of people are frustrated, and they're just lashing out. They're looking for some simple answer to what's going on, because life has changed so much, and so much has been lost. I get the I get that sense of loss and anger and frustration, but people trying to find simple, like uh, villains, to explain all of this, uh, you know, but <laughs> it is ridiculous. That the, the reality is, this is just what it is. This is a uh, a, a virus no one deliberately uh, created this pandemic it is w- what we've got to deal with and we've done a pretty good job but we've got a ways to go yet
2: yeah unfortunately we do you also criticized uh, businesses that have opened up despite the restrictions and yet at the same time on february 8th we are going to ease some restrictions so how do you how do you strike that balance is this reopening kind of a pandering to the businesses that have said look i'm going to defy
1: the rules and i'm going to open anyways now, this is a very careful, gradual uh, process. Um, look, we, we imposed additional restrictions in November, December because we had a huge spike, of course, uh, as you know, and, and we're seeing that across most of the Northern Hemisphere. But we went from 100 to 950 cases of COVID-19 in our hospitals that caused massive cancellations of surgeries. And, and if it had continued in that direction, it would have overwhelmed our hospitals, our health care system. We would have been setting up uh, overflow hospitals, denying care to people in the worst case scenario could not let that happen but thankfully Albertans have responded it's true there have been a you know a, a, I guess a few businesses and 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 um, others that have ignored the rules but, but broadly speaking Albertans have embraced it and we've seen the numbers come down significantly but not far enough yet for a broad reopening but this is step by step based on pressure on the hospital system and we've been very clear if things turn around if the virus starts to go back in the wrong direction uh, we may have to tighten things I don't like this like I, we all like to be off the roller coaster for sure yeah. but but some of these businesses are telling us that you know they are hanging by a thread and may never reopen if they don't get a chance to do it in a limited and safe way in the case of restaurants for example cl- closing at 11 no alcohol after 10 only family cohorts can go in from the same household two meter distancing between tables contact uh, information i mean th- this is very very uh limited kind of service but hopefully throws a lifeline so some of them can can actually uh, survive this this crisis. You know, Premier, you mentioned
0: some of the businesses and and whatnot that are openly breaking the rules almost defiantly. Um, They have the ability to derail what you're trying to do. What are we going to do with this church in Stony Plain and the restaurants to say, you know what, we're doing it anyhow? Are we going to crack down on this?
1: Well, ultimately that's uh, that's up to the enforcement agencies. I I, I don't want to live in a society where politicians um, pick and choose who has uh, what penalties put against them. But the, the, the laws are there. Um, and our approach in Alberta has always been to start with education, then encourage compliance, try to take a positive approach, uh, and only you, you know use uh, the hard uh, approach towards enforcement uh, if, if those other things don't work. And I'm going to leave that up to the judgment of the police, of the health regulators, uh, rather than me inter- interfering in it. Um, I, I would just say to those folks, look, like in the case of, 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 um, the, of, of a perhaps a church that's not respecting the rules. We've worked really hard in this province to allow within these public health constraints to allow uh, for continued freedom of of worship to happen with a 15% capacity. Many other provinces have shut down uh, places of worship altogether. We've allowed it to happen in a limited way that respects that constitutional right. So I would just say to perhaps a handful of institutions that are not respecting that, Please work with us. You know, we're we're trying to to allow that space to protect that right. Don't don't uh, undermine that for everyone else.
2: Yeah, working together could be something that <laughs> I think we could adopt in many different areas. Okay, going to switch gears a little bit, Premier. Um, yesterday we were chatting uh, about the Allen report. This this report, this inquiry, basically to to prove i suppose that environmental groups are unfairly targeting the alberta oil and gas industry clarify the the purpose of this report we're spending three and a half million dollars on it it's been delayed several times when we get the results what are we going to do with them what's the what's what's the purpose here
1: Well, this is something that we ran on. It was, I think, a very popular commitment we made to Albertans in the last election to create greater transparency about the largely foreign-funded campaign to landlock Alberta energy. That that really poses an existential threat to jobs in Alberta's economy. These are the organizations that that the uh, commission is looking into uh, that have funded uh, the campaigns that killed the Northern Gateway Pipeline, killed the Energy East Pipeline, have now apparently killed the Keystone XL Pipeline, are trying to kill the... Uh, decades-old uh, line, Enbridge Line 3, uh, Line 9, Line 5 um, that have been, of course, harassing and trying to kill TMX and, and of course, Coastal GasLink for LNG exports. Uh, this is a highly coordinated campaign uh, involving uh, very aggressive legal tactics, uh, public relations, advertising, political engagement. We've had, uh, we believe, millions of dollars, perhaps tens of millions, pour into Canadian uh, political campaigns um, from U.S. foundations and perhaps other sources of funds. Uh, the idea came in part from a U.S. congressional inquiry which found compelling evidence of, um, of Russian uh, money being involved in anti-pipeline activity in the United States, for example. So we, we've asked if there's any evidence this goes beyond U.S. foundations. If these groups have a highly coordinated campaign, as, as has been alleged by many independent researchers, we want to know about it. Uh, one thing we'll be doing is bringing in a law to make it illegal for foreign m- money to go into uh, so-called political action committees in Alberta. But really, I think uh, sunshine is the best disinfectant, and this is all about transparency. Premier, just how it fits into the whole broader scheme you campaigned
0: on jobs, economy, and the pipeline and fighting for the Alberta oil sector. And politically, I understand that. I mean, that, that, that's a great message to sell. Um, but just taking a look at, you know, you, you mentioned the Allen Inquiry. That, that's been a big problem. The war room, been a problem. Keystone's dead. We're mm-hmm. seeing massive layoffs in the oil sector. So this fighting for Alberta this war mentality I'm finding a hard time picking out a battle that we've won is this working for us it seems to me things are perhaps going in the wrong direction
1: well first of all I, I, I don't think Albertans uh, want to allow these foreign-funded campaigns against our energy sector to go without uh, a pushback but they're legal you can't stop that well, we're not talking about stopping, we're talking about pushing back, and, and that's why we've, uh, for example, appointed this inquiry to look into the sources of these funds. What are they up to? Uh, how are they coordinated? Where is this money coming from? Why are they focusing on Alberta instead of OPEC countries? Why would U.S. foundations try to landlock Alberta energy when the U.S. has doubled its oil production in the past decade? These are questions that we should be asking With as, as a, a province of the world's third largest oil reserves. Um, and, and, you know, we were elected, yes, uh, to fight for this province's best interest, not to sit back passively and let others determine our future for us, uh, and you know, we, a lot of this stuff is is very much at the early stages. We won in a four to one vote at the Alberta Appeal Court in our challenge of the federal carbon tax. We have a pending constitutional challenge on the No More Pipelines law, which we think we have a very good chance of winning. But part of this is is it is a broader strategy. Uh, you know, I'm spending a lot of time on the phone uh, trying to uh, fight the effort of the Michigan governor to. Show down line five that sh- that ships uh, over six hundred thousand barrels of Alberta energy uh, to Ontario and the upper Midwest um, and y- you know so th- this is a this is a we have to be fighting on all fronts to maintain uh the ability to to ship our energy which is such a critical part of of our uh economy here in alberta
2: sure but it seems as though with the allen report that we're really just kind of creating a a further divide between what we're trying to accomplish with the oil and gas industry and environmental groups and and don't you think that we kind of need to marry the two as we move forward
1: well yeah i agree that we need to continue making progress in reducing the environmental impact of our energy sector and we're doing a great job on that uh as a province we're Uh, uh, telling that story more uh, to people, investors and and political leaders around the world. So this is not about being opposed to um, reducing carbon emissions from our energy production. This is about, you know, us standing up, having the self-respect to stand up for ourselves to a coordinated campaign that's been trying to landlock our largest commodity, our largest industry, the largest creator of (laughs) jobs. Uh, and that's what we were elected to do, so we're keeping our commitment.
0: Uh, Premier Kinney, another issue that came up was the coal mining situation, and I don't want to
1: get into the details
0: of that quite as much as the fact that one of the major complaints is is lack of consultation. We heard the same thing from the teachers when it came with their pension. and thing. That was what brought down the last Conservative government, was just sort of governing almost, you know, without any consultation and just doing what you wanted to do and not being in touch with Albertans. Um, are we returning to that? Are you doing the work to let Albertans know what's happening and hear what they want to see happen?
1: Oh, for sure we are, and you know, for example, there's been a, a lot of confusion between uh, coal policy here and an application made seven years ago in 2013, I think about four four governments ago, um, for a, a new coal mine uh, down in southwest Alberta, um, which is has gone through exhaustive consultation, so you can't get a mine of any kind anywhere in this province. Uh, without an exhaustive environmental review based on fe- uh, provincial and/or federal uh, law, and uh, and and that involves a widespread consultation. I, you know, I find that a bit curious because I often get criticized for us consulting too much. People say you have too many panels and consultations going on. For so for sure, we we, we listen to Albertans. The, the reality is that 1976 policy had been completely uh, superseded by much more stringent environmental regulations over the past 45 years uh, we didn't have a water act in 1976 thank goodness we do now and so no regulator no government is ever going to allow a mine of any kind or a forestry project or a ranching project that's going to uh, jeopardize the um, uh, headwaters for example off the eastern slopes okay but let me ask at the same you then time, we can balance oh, sorry to interrupt I just wanted to finish by saying we, we, we as a province have and must balance those environmental concerns with responsible resource development for jobs the Pecani first nation down in the southwest desperately want to be partners in a potential mine BC has several coal mines on the uh, western slopes we have had mining going on nonstop for 140 years in various areas on the eastern slopes we have to do it in a limited and responsible way balancing uh, jobs with with environmental protection
0: if if that policy um, was no longer really the the law of the land and there's much more stringent policies in place then why pull it and why once once it was pulled was there such a dramatic increase in the number of leases that people applied for and were granted if that policy didn't do anything why did things change so dramatically when it was pulled?
1: Uh, you know the, the, a lease is just a right to consider making an application it's not an approval of any uh, in a, any kind whatsoever and and no regulator is going to approve a project uh, for any industry that represents a, a significant threat to the environment. Okay so yeah, that. Oh, and why was it because it was, it was a dead letter. It was no longer relevant. It was a 45-year-old obsolete policy that had been uh, superseded by more stringent environmental regulations. So we were elected to reduce uh, um, red tape. And that means going back and, and looking at things that, that no longer have any meaningful application in terms of policy.
2: Well, we're talking about meaningful application towards the economy, though, too. How much does coal actually even really help us? There's been numerous studies that have come out and said that it's actually not that big of a, of a, of a help to our economy. What do you say to that?
1: I say that, uh, you know, go, go and ask that question to the thousands of coal miners and their families who depend on that industry. Go visit uh, the community of Crow's Nest Pass that's been devastated by the, the closure of mines in, in recent years. Go talk to the Pecani First Nation, uh, whose, many of whose people have been living in poverty for, uh, for decades and who, who look at, at a partnership on a responsible mine as a chance to move their nation forward in terms of prosperity and opportunity. So there's thousands of Alberta families who put food on the table uh, because of the mining industry including the coal mining industry and and i, d- I don't think those of us who, who live in the cities should should look down at those folks we should we should support them and and respect what they do for a living safely uh, producing and if, by the way if we don't produce that kind of energy in Alberta, it's being produced elsewhere the world needs metallurgical coal in particular to create steel for a modern industrial economy if it's not produced here it's going to be produced in bc or australia I, I think we should be open to responsible development
0: all right, Premier Kenny. unfortunately, we're out of time already. Uh, lots more things we could get into. Hopefully, we'll have a chance to do it again. I'd be happy to come back. Thanks so much. Great. Thank you very much. All the Thanks best.
2: Thanks so much. Take care.